So again, Galatians 2, verses 11 to 21. What Holy Scripture says. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith, In Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose." This is the word of the Lord. Well, just after graduating seminary, I hopped into my U-Haul, pulling my car behind me and left for the great white north. Now, I did have a job. This was back in 2017. I did have a job, but I didn't have a work visa in my hand yet. So I pulled up to the border with my life packed behind me in my U-Haul, which as a seminary student, that's not much. And uh, I had no real assurance that I would be allowed to come and stay in Canada. Now, I know a lot of you have been in this similar process of work visas and citizenships and PRs, and it can be a little bit nerve-wracking. When I got to the border and pulled up to that guard station... I had no idea what that guard was going to say. Was he going to reject me? Was he going to tell me that I didn't have the right paperwork and send me back to the U.S.? I didn't have the right credentials. Was he going to send me packing back home? Well, they ran my paperwork. They checked all my credentials. Uh, And they realized, after hours of me waiting, they realized, okay, this guy... He should be here. He's got the right credentials. And so they gave me my newly minted work visa. And because I had that work visa, I had assurance in that moment that I can stand before that border guard, 
that I wasn't going to be tossed out of Canada, not rejected, but that I belonged there. I had confidence. I had assurance. Now, work visas, permanent residencies, citizenships, they all answer the important question, how can I stand before a border guard with confidence? But have you ever thought about how to stand before a holy God? Stand before, standing before a border guard becomes so much more meaningless and insignificant when you think about how you're going to stand before the holy God of the Bible. As we continue our Galatians series this morning, Galatians chapter 2, 15 to 21 answers that question and answers the most important question that you will ever need to answer. How can sinful man, how can you stand before a holy God and live? See, for the Christian, infinitely more important than all those other things, the PR, the citizenship to some country that might not be here in 500 years, infinitely more important than all those other things is the confidence and security and assurance that you have in Christ Jesus. Because you, brother or sister in Christ, you can stand before a holy God because you are trusting in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and not your own works. So before we jump into our Galatians text, you'll remember from last week, as John just read, Peter, uh, Paul rebuked Peter's conduct because his conduct was out of step with the gospel. And through his conduct, Peter was teaching the Gentiles that they had to live a certain way to be saved, which means that Peter was showing other people that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't good enough to secure salvation. For the parents in the room, let me help you out with an illustration here. That's like saying one thing to your kids, but then doing another, and then your kids begin to do what you do and not what you say. Your actions teach them more than your words. That's what Peter was doing in Antioch. So Paul rebukes Peter. And if you jump back and read verse 14, the verse right before our passage here today, Paul says this to Peter, if you... Though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter, you have been living like a Jew here in Antioch. Why are you now forcing Gentiles to live like kosher Jews who adhere to the Mosaic law? And then after asking this rhetorical question to prove a point, Paul launches into reminding Peter and Barnabas and all the Jewish believers there and all of us here today what the true gospel really entails. And Paul begins by showing all of us, by showing you that if you want to stand before a holy God and live, you must rely on the righteousness of another and Paul says you must rely on the righteousness of another because you can't earn your own righteousness. You can't earn your own favor before God. Verses 15 and 16, Paul says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, 
no one will be justified. So first, Paul admits and acknowledges what everyone there in this situation in Antioch knows to be true. That's Peter and Paul and all the Jewish brothers there, that being ethnically Jewish does actually have its perks. Hear what I mean. Here's what I mean. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth. So what do we know? Israel was the chosen nation of God. To them belonged the law, the covenants, and all the promises, all the blessings that were bestowed upon the Jewish people at birth. But he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, I just want to pause here real quick because it's really important for us to understand what he's saying here because he's going to use this same word sinner again in this same sense in verse 17. So the word sinner here in the original, it isn't the normal word for sinner that we would understand, how we would understand what a sinner is, someone who sins against God. It's a different word, and he's using it slightly differently. The word sinner here in verse 15, it speaks to a more cultural sense. It describes being considered an outsider because of failure to conform to certain standards. So Paul isn't saying that he and Peter... And all Jewish believers, all Jewish people don't sin and Gentiles do sin. What he's saying is that we don't sin like Gentile sinners. See, the Pharisees refer to all non-Jewish people as Gentile sinners. Paul knew this. And they referred to Gentile sinners because, because they referred to Gentiles that way because Gentiles didn't keep the Mosaic law which means that they didn't leave out all, they didn't live out all the legal requirements of the Jewish law, which meant in that sense, they were sinners. He's saying that he and Peter and all the other brothers there who were kosher Jews were reared as law-keeping men, not as law-neglecting Gentiles. And yet he goes on to say this, though that is true, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. We know, Peter and Barnabas and company, that despite being raised with the law and rigorously upholding the law for most of their lives, we know that a person is not justified by works of that law. To be justified is to be declared righteous by God. That is, to be declared morally perfect by God's standard. See, you and I and every single human in history, we all stand condemned because every single one of us have sinned against God. We have all committed high treason against the sovereign king. I want to take you back to the garden for a moment. Adam, our representative before the king, made a decision that would affect all of humanity. And through Adam's rebellion, every single one of us inherit a sinful nature. Sin becomes like a part of our DNA as humans. It's not just that we commit sins, it's that we are sinners. It's who we are apart from Christ. But when you are justified, you are acquitted of all sinful charges. When you are justified, the king declares that you are righteous and that he now sees you as righteous. It's like the final verdict of a judge in a trial case. Once, the, once that, that, that gavel drops, the verdict is forever binding. 
That's a glorious thought when you really think about it. Despite me being a sinner, I can be declared righteous by God. But Paul says, he makes it abundantly clear here, that there's nothing that you can do to earn God's righteousness. No one is justified by works of the law. By works of the law, Paul is referring to fulfilling the expectations of the Mosaic law. So no one is declared righteous by being obedient to the Mosaic law. Not even Jews, not even Jews like Paul and Peter and Barnabas who had been adhering to this law their entire lives. Why? Why is no one justified by works of the law? Well, if you look ahead to Galatians 3.24, Paul tells us that the law was never meant to produce a saving righteousness. Galatians 3.24, the law was our guardian until Christ came. The law was put in place to act as an overseer, as a guide that points us to Jesus. It was never meant, never designed by God, never intended by God to be a justifier. So running to the Mosaic law to save you would be like running to a flight attendant during a plane crash. The flight attendant can't save you. You need to get off the plane. It's just their job to point you in the right direction. That's what the law does. It points us into the right direction. And so Paul says, no amount of obedience to the law can earn you favor before God. A person is not declared righteous by their religious works. In another way, no amount of adhering to sacraments in that sense can save you. And if you're still trusting in the fact that you're a good person or that you're religious or that you belong to a certain church, or that somehow your good will outweigh your bad on some cosmic scale. And Paul says, turn away from that. And this morning, I'm begging you to turn away from that because that's not what the Bible clearly teaches. Paul shows us here that you need to rely on the righteousness of another. And he says that because you can't save yourself by your own goodness. But in the positive, he says, you need to rely on the righteousness of another because saving righteousness only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16, Paul goes on. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to, believe, or in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. No amount of religious works can fix your status before God. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ can. And justification, that is being declared righteous by God, to be declared morally perfect by God's standard, Paul says, only happens through faith in Jesus so we got to ask the question first, what is, what is faith? Well, the essence of faith is trust. You guys, most of you are from Canada. If you're not from Canada, if you lived here long enough, maybe you've played pond hockey. In the winter, if you've been out on some ice, you've walked out onto that pond, into that frozen water, and you have trusted that that ice will hold you. That's what 
Your, your, your faith was in the, the thickness of that ice. This is what faith in Jesus is. Your faith is in, is in Christ Jesus. It's not the mere faith that saves you, not just, not just some vague spirituality that, that saves you. It's not even the strength of your faith. It's who your faith is in. Saving faith, trusting faith is only found in Jesus Christ. And saving faith is only found in Jesus Christ because Jesus is holy and utterly God, which means that he is holy and utterly righteous. He was completely blameless. He lived a perfect life, and he completely and perfectly fulfilled God's law, which made Jesus the one and only sacrifice sufficient to satisfy the need for justice. See, when God declares sinners to be justified and he pardons them, he doesn't just let sinners off the hook. Every single one of us, you and I, we have transgressed the law of the king, which means that someone has to pay. Someone has to right the wrong that you have committed. We'd be outraged if a judge in Toronto was pardoning all sorts of killers and rapists, letting them go scot-free without any repercussions. But God is a holy God, a just God, and a good God. And so God provides righteous justice. And divine justice takes place in one of two places, either in hell or at the cross of Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Your sin in exchange for his righteousness. You see, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're putting your faith and trust in him and his work as the crucified and risen Lord who is given as a sacrifice for your sins. You're saying, I'm not trusting in my own merit or my own religious effort. By putting your faith in Jesus, you're saying, I'm relying, I'm trusting on his righteousness. I'm relying upon his accomplishment. Faith in Jesus Christ, then, is the only key that unlocks the door to salvation. And when you come to this door of faith and you open it by trusting the Lord Jesus and you rely on his righteousness, God sees your faith in his son and declares in his court of law that your guilt is removed, that your sins are pardoned, and that you are righteous and perfect and that's how he sees you as his son and daughter. And so family of God, if you are in Christ Jesus here today, brothers and sisters, stop living. Stop living as if you are condemned because you're not. God looks at you though you've never broken his law and he declares you not guilty you can stand before this holy God and he is pleased with you. Even on your worst day of sin, when anxiousness obliterates all rational thinking, 
when lust has gotten the better of you, when you've given yourself over to jealousy or anger or bitterness, when you're slacking in your devotions, you can repent and confess your sins and draw near to him. But in that moment, God does not love you any less. Because you have been justified and acceptified uh, and accepted, excuse me, acceptified is not a word, I don't think. Maybe we can make it be. <laughs> because you have been justified and accepted through the Lord Jesus Christ, you are more loved than you could ever, ever comprehend. You are loved perfectly by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just want to call you first and foremost to rest in that. Rest in this justification that the Lord Jesus has purchased for you and rejoice in that and worship your God and think often, daily if you need to, about what Jesus has done for you and what has been declared over your life. Paul says that we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith. So Paul is a man that has clearly taken hold of the gospel. Have you, have you clearly taken hold of this gospel? Have you placed your trust solely and squarely upon Jesus and him alone? If you are here and you're still trusting your religious efforts or your own merit, I am pleading you, I'm pleading with you this morning to forsake those things. Forsake your religious effort. Forsake your good deeds. Turn from them and run to Christ. Come to him. Works cannot save you. Only faith in Jesus Christ can save you. Without the righteousness of Jesus, you cannot stand before the holy God of the Bible and live. So I'm pleading with you this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, turn away from your sins and turn to him and trust him today. Rely on the righteousness of Christ. But maybe you're not convinced yet. Maybe there's some lingering doubts about Jesus being the only way and maybe you still think that you're good enough in your own effort to stand before this holy God. Well, if that's you... If you want to stand before a holy God and live, I want to double down and I'm going to call you to not trust in your own good works because that's what Paul does. He calls us again to not trust in our own good works. Verses 17 and 18, he calls us to not trust in our own good works because the more you pursue good works for salvation, the more you just demonstrate yourself to be a sinner. Now, verses 17 and 18 are a little tricky. I had a few of you text me and basically say that. What is happening in verses 17 and 18? So before I read them, I think it's helpful to see that Paul is responding to an objection from his opponents. The false teachers were leading the Galatians away from the true gospel, and they were critiquing Paul's view of justification through faith in Christ. And their objection, that is the false teacher's objection against Paul, goes something like this. The Judaizers were saying that by turning to Christ, Paul and company were forsaking the Mosaic law because they were, they were not abiding by ceremonial elements of the law. And by forsaking the law, Paul was becoming like the Gentile sinners. 
which means, according to the false teachers, that Christ was actually leading Paul astray. So, Paul handles these objections, and here's what he says, verse 17. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So here's what's happening, a couple things. First, Paul affirms that he and Peter and all the other Jewish brothers are in fact endeavoring to be justified in Christ alone for their salvation. They're not trusting in works. He affirms that. Secondly, he affirms that by doing so, he, a believing Jew, does in fact become like a Gentile sinner. So Paul refers to himself as becoming a sinner in the same sense as the Gentile sinners he mentioned back in verse 15. Because being justified in Christ means that he is free from pursuing Jewish ceremonial regulations of the law. And Paul knows, Paul admits, he recognizes that if he steps away from abiding by the regulations of the, of the law, the ceremonial regulations, he will be labeled as a Gentile sinners by the Judaizers. And he's fine with that. But next, he emphatically denies that this makes Christ a servant of sin. Why? Because it's not sinning against God to be a sinner in this cultural sense. Again, it's that same word used back in verse 15. It's not a sin against God to stop depending on works of the law. And then verse 18, he goes on to explain himself. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So this whole time, throughout the argument, we've been seeing that Paul is laboring to tear down the idea that a person can be justified by fulfilling the requirements of the Mosaic law. So for him to rebuild what he tore down would be to return to that idea that you can be justified by the law. And he says, if I do that, if I turn back to that idea that the law can justify me, I prove myself to be a transgressor. And here we see a change. Here, as he uses that word transgressor, he's not talking about being a sinner in a cultural sense here in the same way that he did in verse 15 and verse 17. Here he's actually using the biblical word that communicates sinning against God. So Paul is saying, look, if you want to label me a cultural Gentile sinner because I've turned away from seeking justification in the law to finding justification in Christ, that's fine. But let me tell you, verse 18, the more I double down my efforts to climb my way into being justified by obedience to the law, the more I do that, the more it just reveals that I'm a sinner, a real sinner, one who sins against God. And again, Paul says this because the law was never meant to bring righteousness. It was only meant to convict you of your sin. He tells us in Romans 3, verse 20, for by works of the law, 
no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law was never meant to save anyone. The intent of the law, the intent of the law was to reveal your absolute spiritual bankruptcy. And so Paul is saying, if you were to pursue justification through the law, that would be like playing soccer with a bowling ball. You're just going to really badly hurt yourself. Because the more you pursue the law, the more the law is going to press into you and display your sin. And the more you press into doing good works to earn your salvation with God, the more the law will, will reveal that your goodness is not good enough. Your goodness doesn't measure up. Because in that moment, you are comparing yourself, comparing your good deeds to God's standard of perfection. Friend, if you are not a Christian, God actually says that all of your good works are like filthy rags before him. Isaiah 64, 6. It's a very condemning statement. We have all become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So Isaiah and Paul are saying that you, you need Christ for salvation. Not good works. And for the Christian, for my brothers and sisters here today, God certainly calls you to good works. The New Testament is full of commandments for us to, to, to perform all kinds of good Christian works. But good works flow out of your identity in Christ. They don't flow out of having you having become declared righteous by him. Sorry, good works flow out of your identity in Christ. They flow out of the idea that you've been declared righteous in him. That's why Paul says what he says in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Your good works as a Christian don't lead you to justification. Your justification leads you to good works. We can't get that twisted. So friends... Don't trust your good works for salvation because the harder you try, the more you'll just come up short. Thirdly, how do you stand before a holy God and live? You actually have to die and become new. You have to die and become new. Verses 19 and 20. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul explains what happened to him when he placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he says this, through the law, I died to the law. To die to the law is to be set free from the law's power and control. When you die to the law, the law has, has no governing authority over you. It has no claim over you, which means that you no longer have to live up to ex expectation, which is perfection. That's a hard expectation to live up to. I think to help explain what he's saying here, I want to take you to Romans 7. Don't turn here. 
You could read it later on, verses 1 to 3, 1 to 4. But in Romans 7, Paul compares a person's relationship between, between the law to a marriage. And he explains that if a wife gives herself to another man while her husband is still alive, she commits adultery. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law of marriage and free then to able free to then able to give herself to marriage to another man. And then he goes on to say in Romans 7 verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. Again, the law was meant to work itself out of a job by pointing us to Jesus And Paul says that we die to the binding expectations of the law, which is perfection, when we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason why Paul rebukes Peter in the previous passage. Peter reverted back to living by the Mosaic law. And he led all the Gentiles there in Antioch, all the Gentile believers, away from the gospel. So by looking through the law to Jesus Christ and being unified with him, Paul says he now has real life, real freedom. Again, verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Apart from Christ, Paul says he was dead. But as the law pointed him to faith in Jesus Christ, he found Christ and was made alive. And verse 20 explains how Paul had become new. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul can die to the law and live to God because symbolically he had been crucified with Christ. So that's his new status, his new identity. And if you are a Christian, that is your identity too. By placing your faith and trust in Christ, just as Paul did, you are symbolically crucified with Christ on the cross. In your place, Jesus died an excruciating death so that you didn't have to. And by placing your trust in him, you are united with him in his death. And as a result, it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. That phrase there, it is no longer I who live, that's not a suppression of your personality. That's a massive theological statement, a massive theological reality. God is saying through Paul there that it's a complete eradication of the old man. You who were in Adam have died. And as your life is united with Christ through faith, it's now Christ's life and his righteousness which represents you before God. Again, you were under Adam. He was your representative. But now in Christ Jesus, you are under Christ. And he represents you before God. So that old person in Adam, along with all of his sin, dies And the new person in Christ, along with all of his righteousness, is born. In Christ Jesus, you have been made, radically made, completely new. Your hope in the gospel, Christian, is that because you have been united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, 
you will live with him forever. That's what you have to look forward to. And that's the assurance that you have in Jesus Christ. And if you, as you look forward to that assurance with him for an eternity with him, as you worship him and enjoy him and dwell in his presence, as you have that assurance to look forward to, you can live now as a new creation with that same assurance. You can live day by day, as Paul says, by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Fourth and finally, you stand before a holy God and live by not rejecting the grace of God. You can stand before a holy God and live by not rejecting the grace of God. Verse 21, Paul concludes his argument and he says this, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, and Christ died for no purpose. See, those who pursue justification by mere obedience to the law, Paul says, reject the cross. And if you reject the cross, you reject grace. That's what it means to nullify something. It's to declare something invalid. It's to reject it. And so Paul says, taking a hold of, of God's grace extended to you through justification by faith in Jesus Christ, when you do that, you can say with Paul, I do not nullify the grace of God. I don't reject this grace that God has made available for me. I receive it. I take a hold of it through faith. Grace is God's unmerited favor and blessing and God's grace is only bestowed upon Christians who trust in Jesus for their salvation. So if you are trusting in works or trusting in any other form of religiosity, Paul says you are rejecting the grace of God. And friend, I want to call you, don't reject the grace of God any longer. Take a hold of the gospel. Take a hold of this new life that is available to you through Jesus Christ and take a hold of grace by trusting in the righteousness of Jesus. So, have you asked yourself, how can I stand before a holy God and live? When I moved to this country in Canada in 2017, I, rel I relied on my work visa to grant me access to get me through that border, to give me confidence to stand before that border card and live in this country. When you stand before a holy God, what will you rely on? For the non-Christian, I want to call you to come all the way to Jesus and rely on his righteousness by turning from your sins and placing your faith and trust in him. But for the Christians here today, I want to remind you and I want to call you to rest assured in his perfect righteousness, in Jesus' perfect righteousness that is yours. You can stand before this holy God and live and enjoy him and delight in him now and forever, all because of the work of Christ.